Hi everyone, uh, welcome to ELI, the place where you get your daily dose of inspiration for entrepreneurship. And today we have with us Mr. Puneet Kataria, a founder of Customer Success Box, a customer success platform for B2B SaaS. Uh, Puneet has worked for companies such as Honeywell, uh, Telelogic, IBM, ThoughtWorks, and uh, Kayako before starting his own venture in 2016. Uh, hi Puneet, uh, welcome to ELI. Thank you. Thank you, Priya. Uh, thank you for having me here. Pleasure. And uh, I would request you to introduce yourself to our audience. Sure. I think I think that was a wonderful introduction. I'm like, there's not there's not much to it. Went through uh, went through my um, I've got my bachelor's and master's in computer science. Then did my um, a little bit of an uh, MBA uh, for about a year from IM Bangalore, uh, and uh, that was sort sort of in between. And uh, I've been running the corporate ladder, started as an engineer, uh, eventually got into sales, and then eventually uh, finally became an entrepreneur. And that's where I am. Uh, just a small correction. So we, we sort of started in 20, uh, 2018 to be, to be ideal in customer success box. 2016 was my first venture, uh, which was in the advocacy marketing space, which did not fly. Turned out that's a very, I don't think that market exists. Um, but, uh, but customer success box, uh, for all practical purposes, 2018, yeah. Tell us about it. Tell us what is customer success box. Sure. Uh, so, like you, like you mentioned, um, uh, let me let me give you a little bit of a backdrop, and I think then people will be able to make a lot more sense sure. about why customer success box um, and what is customer success to start with, because it's such a new field. Um, there are lots of definitions floating around, and people have their uh, you know their own version of of uh, of the truth. So, so let's uh, let's decode that a little bit. Um, so I'll start with the problem statement. So if you look at the, the world that we live in today, uh, Priyam, um, we, uh, we don't buy things anymore. I'll start with the B2C example, although we do B2B. Um, we don't buy things anymore. Earlier, you used to um, uh, you purchase, let's say, CDs if you wanted to listen to music. You would buy um, DVDs if you wanted to watch DVDs or Blu-rays if you wanted to uh, watch movies. Um, not anymore. Today you have uh, Netflix. Today you've got um, Spotify, and all these uh, are essentially either content as a service, music as a service, whatever you want to call it. And similarly, in the software world, on the B two B side, uh, um, similar transitions be happening. We used to purchase software um, and then pay a very small token maintenance fee. Those were the um, old days. But in the subscription economy, we don't buy software anymore. We actually subscribe to it. And, uh, and fundamentally, uh, that is what subscription economy is all about, where you we are not buying. Uh, what I mean by that is, uh, from, the, from the buyer's perspective, because they're not committing to anything upfront, it's very easy for them to you know, take a decision, quick decision. But if that does not work out, if they are not getting value, they are going to essentially move on to another platform. And that is where customers churn and um, you know the businesses who are delivering uh, those softwares are not able to get the expected revenue so if i if i if i look at if you, if you look at the uh, the standard sales funnel which is let's say awareness interest consideration purchase um, and then you know comes the customer and that's when we used to celebrate in the ownership economy um, but today just acquiring a customer is no more the end goal because as a SaaS business, you only make say five to fifteen percent at max uh, revenue uh, or the revenue of the total LTV or total lifetime value of the company. You only make five percent, ten percent of the total LTV on the day you acquire a customer, even if they're paying you upfront for the entire year. Mm -hmm. 
that means 95% of your of your revenue will come in as future recurring revenue when they renew month on month quarter on quarter year on year and and for many years to come and customers will only renew and you will only get that 95% of the lifetime value if you are able to retain them as a customer customers will will stay with you as customers if you are delivering value and delivering value starts from everything after acquisition after you've acquired a customer so which is onboarding the customer taking them all the way to success you know success that your marketing website promised uh, which is not not just you know uh, creating logins for five users it goes way beyond that um, and from there making sure that the renewal happens from there making sure you're just not solving the first use case that they came to solve you hopefully are helping them with more use cases that means driving upsells and upgrades which leads to more value for your customers and and hopefully more value and more dollars and more revenue for your business and this is the is the piece that we that we essentially solve for our customers which is think of it as a funnel post sales and uh, and that's the uh, that's what customer success box is all about um in in very simple words um if you if you look at where the customer lives when uh, pre acquisition so they live in they live in marketing uh, platforms they live in prospecting tools they live in data enrichment tools they live in sales and crm and go through million stages all the love and care and they you know we sort of treat every lead with with so gently so beautifully so perfectly that we literally perfect perfected the art um and when we when they become a customer the traditional world only treated them post a customer just becoming a support ticket okay. and and that was so unfortunate and and i think while support tickets absolutely need to be handled and there's there's no denying that and i think they form uh, one of the one of the key ingredients post sales as well but um the customer needs to live somewhere it needs to live from within you know from a system perspective crms can't do that because crms do not get the insights with the usages and all of that stuff so customer success box um is designed to be uh taking over the journey where the crm ends so once you acquire the customer that is when customer success box kicks in so think of us as salesforce for the post sales world but we don't we are not you know we are not the replica of salesforce or acrm for that matter but what we do is we essentially bring in a lot of intelligence um, on that customer from based on proc adoption the value they are getting and then calculate whole bunch of things which hopefully we'll get to talk about as we as we move forward uh tell us how does it work uh, in the back end what is the architecture and how different elements come together in uh, customer success box sure um uh, that's a that's a loaded question so but but i get that question very often so like okay hold on so you you are going to tell me um, you know to you're going to deliver value to the customer so that i can renew the account how the hell are you going to make that happen so first thing I, i think we need to understand the the subscription economy that we are living in today is today um, uh, i think close to about two uh, shy of 300 million a uh, billion dollar economy worldwide that means businesses who are on subscription economy slash cloud that's the size and which is going to be uh, i think from 260 something to moving to about 250 something billion by 2022 and these are pre covid numbers that i have access to right now i think post covid the digital adoption has uh, has um, has sort of multiplied many folds uh while pre covid itself the cloud was increasing by about 30% but now i think uh the cloud and subscription is is going to be increasing even more faster now that's the size of the market so that means there are about 300 300 uh, 350 billion dollar to be protected or renewed every year if i can put it like that now how do we do that so first thing first uh, i think 
we need to make sure that the customers are onboarded right. So we've got very detailed onboarding journeys, which are not just a simple project management plan. It a it has multiple factors. One of the key factors there is that we track and drive true product adoption. So how do you know whether the customer is onboarded right or not? How do you know that the onboarding was successful? Because you've completed five trainings within the two weeks that you committed, is that onboarding? Well, hell no, it has to be a lot better than that. A lot, um, you know, and, and that is where we believe that, let's say whether your onboarding cycle is one week, uh, four weeks, or, or you know, uh, six weeks or eight weeks or 12 weeks, whatever that is, you know, 30, 60, 90, whatever days, the, the end outcome should be measured in not just whether you've completed your tasks, which is you as your SaaS business has completed, the onboarding managers completed their tasks, but also is the customer getting value? And that is, is, is crucial. So what we do is we track real product adoption. So uh, we get data from multiple sources. So customer success box feeds in on multiple sources. One of the key source is the product telemetry. Um, what is uh, what is the customer doing with your product? So let's take an example, and probably we can build on it as we as we go along. Let's take an example of a CRM. So CRM is um, um, so in CRM you create leads. You you let's say you connect your form with the website. Uh, when the leads come in, the leads get created. Uh, then leads get uh, moved up the stages at some stage. An opportunity gets created, and the opportunity at some time gets moved as mark close one or close lost. So these are everything that you do sort of get tracks every time you you create a lead it sort of hits our servers so we receive roughly about 25 billion dollar uh, sorry 25 billion uh, events gets processed for our customers today on a monthly basis that's the sort of scale that we are in and um, uh, so we get telemetry then but telemetry cannot be seen just in a silo it needs to be seen okay for which customer are we seeing this uh, data so we need data from the crm who is this customer when have they signed up then we get data from your subscription management platform, let's say a Chargebee or a Zora uh, or a Recurly to, to see, uh, or Zoho subscription to, to essentially see, you know, um, how much are they paying, what plan they are on, uh, when is the renewal coming up, all of that stuff. Then we also bring in data from your uh, support ticketing system, such as an intercom, Zendesk, Freshdesk. And, and there we want to see, uh, you know, are they raising too many tickets, too less tickets. Then we also bring in data from, um, uh, from your financial systems on in, around invoices, um, uh, whether are there only overdue invoices and things like those. So all this then gets merged and crunched into um, have they are they seeing value um, in during onboarding and post onboarding by calculating something what we call an account health. So for every customer, uh, I'm not talking user level. So, so we, ca we capture data at a user level and then roll it up at an account level. So just to be clear from a B2B perspective. Um, so we capture data and, um, and based on all of this data, we calculate what is called an account health, which fundamentally will tell you who's getting value and who's not. Mm -hmm. So that you don't have to wait till the, till the end of the renewal for, for a customer, uh, you know, wait till the day of the renewal or the anniversary of the term uh, for you to realize, oh, this customer is not getting value and hence we should do something about it because by then it will already be too late. So this acts as an early warning system so that you can proactively intervene without waiting for the, the renewal term. And that ensures that you are, or your customers are always getting value and hence they're staying your customers forever. Um, now, uh... I would like to understand how did you come up with this uh, product? What was the idea initially? How did you 
uh, execute the idea to uh, build a MVP. Can you take us back uh, to those uh, days? Sure. Um, uh, so like I, like I give you a little subscription economy back, backdrop, let me, let me start by giving you a little bit of a, my personal background. And, and I think sure. uh, that will quickly align well with uh, uh, why am I doing this? Um, so my quick background is that I, uh, I started as an engineer and I think uh, enjoyed being an engineer. I used to work at Honeywell. We used to, I was based out of Seattle um, and Bangalore. So used to hop between these two, these two offices. And we literally, I remembered that we used to, uh, I was working on a Airbus A380 weather radar program. So literally take the weather radar. Honeywell used to have their own airplanes. It's a Fortune 25 company. Uh, Honeywell used to have their own and still probably do have their own airplanes for testing. They'll have an air base and we'll literally, you know, take, put the, uh, go to the airfield, Put the stick the radar in the nose so the so the weather radar sits behind the nose so the nose sort of opens up and goes there and uh, we'll take it out for a spin i think and I, and I love airplanes till date i can watch them land and and take off probably all day i still do that sometimes um uh, while while enjoying that um i decided to uh, sort of switch gears a little bit i used to use a particular technology and then i eventually started working for that company uh in pre-sales Within six months, I moved to sales uh, in that organization and then did software selling. So I moved from being an engineer writing code to, to, to selling software. Uh, I could call it a move to the dark side, right? Uh, um, and uh, did that for good donkey years. So for about five, six years, I was writing code. And then for about good uh, 15 odd years, I was uh, 12, 15 odd years before becoming an entrepreneur, I was, um, uh, I was selling software. So while I was selling software, eventually ended up in IBM. Um, IBM, I, I've been selling SaaS software as a service since 2006. IBM acquired a company called Focal Point. I was party to that. And, um, and, and that is how I was selling SaaS since 2006. So, so far all good. And I think grew up the ladder, um, uh, started heading India, then started, uh, moved to the US, uh, was heading um, uh, Central US. Then came back, was heading um, uh, APAC, and then eventually, for my last company I was heading, I was VP of Worldwide Sales for a, for another SaaS company. Now the interesting thing that happened in my last employment was, um, while I was wearing the hat of a VP of Sales, my incentive plans—all sales are on incentives—my incentive plan was based on MRR, monthly recurring revenue, and that basically meant that I inherited you know thousands of customers, paying us millions of dollars. And um, so I was responsible for making sure that money keeps coming in. And my sales teams, which I inherited again, you know, 20, 25 uh, members strong uh, uh, sales team, um, I think they were kicking ass and, um, and we as a team were kicking ass. I think we were bringing in lots of customers, um, but at the, while we were bringing in customers, uh, I'm wondering, everybody in my team is making incentive. Why am I not making incentives two months, three months in? So I did the math and I realized that there is a leak in the bucket. We're adding customers, we're losing customers. That means MRR is not changing. Mm. So in spite of we adding customers, there's a leak in the bucket. We're churning so many customers that almost nullifies the, the accounts that we're adding. And that is when we realize, oh shit, there's a leak in the bucket. So this was about six, seven years ago. I was forced to learn about customer churn. I was forced to learn about, um, I was forced to learn about, uh, um, customer success as a result of, of that. Uh, then we started putting the practice in place, put the team in place. I was also one of the early adopters of one of those technologies back then. And then I think I love the idea of using technology to get an early warning system in place. But I realized that the technology lacks so many things that we wanted to do. And uh, so here I am, all chips in into customer success box. 
so that was my that was my idea, and that is how I got together. Have I answered your question? I believe how I how I ended up here, right? Uh, you answered it partly. Now that you have told us the back background on how you came up with the idea, tell us how you executed the idea. How did you find the uh, people to execute? Because I understand you are not a technical person. You need people to build the software. Uh, the that is number one. Also, uh, how 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 did you? Uh, of course, learning about customer success is one thing, but building a software. Uh, requires in-depth knowledge about uh, how customer success should be. Uh, tell us how did you manage all these things uh, together? No, absolutely, and I think you're spot on. You know, having knowing what you want to do versus executing are two different things. See, um, I'll, I'll I'll go back to my my four uh, five six years of being a being an engineer developer playing with code all of that stuff. So the way I put it is, once an engineer, always an engineer. Uh, I I think uh, I can still write code. Although all I'll do is just do a maybe hello worlds and Ruby on Rails and, and the latest stack, whatever is available, and I'll I'll say I can code. Um, I'm 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 sure my uh, my, my co-founder will tell you no, he can't. Uh, but I do, uh, but I do try to. Uh, I don't code anymore, but I but I do know enough to be to be dangerous sort of a thing. Um, uh, so I think I always had an idea that what needs to be what needs to be done. Um, Along the along the fifteen uh, years in sales, and you know, uh, I think about seventeen, eighteen years of total workx, I have used, sold so many technologies, so many products. So I know exactly what goes inside a product, how a technology product, a SaaS platform, or any software needs to address the business use cases, the business challenges, the business pain, and how do you bridge them? So I I knew the problem statement because I've been selling software. Uh, I knew the um, I knew the solution end because I have been selling this software, and I have been uh, you know all these donkey years have taught me um, how to how to listen to the customer, understand what they need, and first of all evaluate is your technology even aligned with their challenge? Can you even help them? Because at the end of the day, sales is not about just pushing your software down someone's throat. It is about helping them to start with. Whether that can be achieved or what can be achieved with your software or not is a secondary piece. I think when you when you go out and try to help someone, that is going to be a lot more natural sale uh, for for you. Because see, I think sales is easy, building trust is difficult, and um, and I think once you build trust, then then people will trust you. Nobody is going to you know choose another software for a couple of features here or there because that's never going to be uh, a winning or a losing um, sort of point. But but going back to addressing your question, so I understood exactly what needs to be built. Um, but when it comes to building and having lived by rolling out salesforce and you know seeing successes and failures of massive rolls out rollouts um, all of that stuff um, i i had the i had the vision of a very very large software right something that can do uh, lots of things which will be used by larger organizations and whatnot but you can't start there you know while that is your end goal uh, you're, you're still starting at the bottom of the hill and and before you can reach the top of the mountain the top of the hill you still have to define a path number one and then there will be enough milestones which which should tell you that you're headed in the right direction mm. and and i think um, while everybody knows the destination um, and everybody also knows their starting position where people get lost is is in the in the path and uh, i think for us uh, we wanted to make sure at least in my head i wanted to make sure that that I set up enough milestones along the journey to check: Are we headed in the right direction? Are we headed in the right direction? And are we headed? So every day, while you are, you know, so as an entrepreneur, you know, you want to swing between the two. 
on one end, you've got the vision which is going to change the world and you're always headed for the top of the mountain and nothing less. On the other hand, you're being very, very humble and checking your checking your gyroscopes and compasses every day. Hey, are we, am I, am I heading in the right direction? Am I gaining elevation? Am I losing? And, and I think, um, and those are some of the pieces that we wanted to check. So with that said, with that sort of a backdrop and, and, and approach, we started to build the MVP together and our, and our minimal viable product. Um, uh, by, by the way, I don't believe in MVP. I believe in M, a minimal viable market or a minimal viable problem. Um, what is a minimal viable problem? Uh, there's a very beautiful lecture from, from, I think, David Scott, if I remember correctly, it's on YouTube. People should check it out. Um, what it says is don't build the minimum viable product. Find the minimal viable market and the minimal viable use case that your product can address at a bare minimum that people are willing to give you money for. And what I realized was, so for example, uh, so there is every product will have the core uh, of value. For instance, our product, for example, back in the day, I think um, the, the core was, can I give you an early warning system that nobody else can because you don't have one in place? Can I, can I provide every SaaS, uh, every SaaS business, every SaaS uh, leader that, hey, out of, the, out of the 500 customers that you've got, or maybe 100 customers in a portfolio of one customer success manager, these 10 customers are red and hence you need to intervene for this reason, for this, these customers, and, and, and this time you need to intervene. If I could just do that, and that was my core. It does not matter how you know whether how easy it is to create users in my platform. It does not matter um, you know uh, whether they can send emails from my platform at that point in time. Now people can; they can even make phone calls and whatnot. Um, but at that point in time, this was this will always be the core. So I worked on an MVP. So we realized that this was missing. Then we picked up the uh, the very specific goal that all I need is product telemetry. All I will calculate is account health. All that will give you is a fundamental uh, early warning system. And when we did that, we were able to build that in just three months. We um, And we made a public announcement for it. So we literally reached out to a lot of people. They said, hey, this is what we're building. If you want it, fill out this form. And by the way, we will be ready for the first demo three months later. Mm. Out of 100 people that we reached out to, we got, I think, 32 or 29, I'm, I'm, I'm losing, but somewhere around that, which is a pretty huge number, about 29 people signed up the form and it was it was designed for, you know, about I think 15 or 20 fields. Because if you are if you are somebody who's not really interested, does not want to fill out form, I don't mm -hmm. want you to, you know, even be in that funnel. So we deliberately made the form longer. We got 29 people lined up for a demo, which will happen three months later. And this, we, we were upfront about this. So that I think was the first milestone. Okay, I'm building, I'm about to set on a journey to build something which is, uh, you know, which people want and they're willing to wait for it and they're willing to fill the form. That's one. Then, and this was all on cold emails. Okay, there was not referrals, nothing. Hmm. Number two, uh, then we, once we built the platform, then we reached out to those, I think 29, uh, I don't think all the demos, demos happened, but probably about, um, uh, I think early 20s, we did the demonstration and from there we gained our first 10 customers so so i think uh, the journey was 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 amazing there uh, we were obviously not charging a lot we were you know i think we we're thankful for them we will not be there without them but the product was obviously back then was was very alpha release if i can call it that and uh, but it did deliver on on value we helped them uh, get ahead of where they were and uh, and so we started okay uh Building a product or building a company, uh, it's a, a task that you have, you cannot do it alone. You have to 
find right people uh, or uh, if i may say you have to hire people uh, tell us about uh, how do you go about hiring people uh, i personally have uh, been to one of your hiring processes and i have felt that it's a little different from uh, how other companies recruit people tell us about it so let me let me start by uh, talking about that i don't like the word hiring and i don't like the word even employees um, especially in a startup see hiring is a is a very contractual arrangement i pay you something you do something in return okay uh, especially in the technology industry or the knowledge workers as as my mba prof told me taught, you know taught me um, I, I think there nobody is working just for money uh, and i think that's that's a well established fact and uh, i understand this because i have been on the other side for for majority of my career i never worked for money and uh, i'm not saying uh, money is not important and it should you should you should work for free i'm definitely not suggesting that but what i'm saying is money is not the only thing um and uh, the sooner you know people who are chasing a bit of at a paycheck i think the sooner they learn so they sort of eventually realize the more you chase it the harder it becomes and and you know once you start chasing passion you'll you'll realize at some point money will start chasing you whether you want it or not money will chase you eventually all you have to do is follow your passion and priya you are i think a, a better example that that your audience sort of listen to you almost every day uh, on podcast and uh, I, i think that's about that's this is what i'll this is the priya you are the best example of chasing passion right so um, but let's come back to the uh, to you know how do you find your initial team team part uh, you know team members so here we were able to you know pull out the first three months and we were able to you know pull out the the product in the first three months it was actually at the back of a previous uh, gig or a previous uh, company that i started in advocacy marketing uh, we we were fundamentally you know core four team members uh, me my co-founder and a couple of other you know early team members as good as founders um, and i believe the first you know 20 25 people in your organization are equally founders and and that is the mindset with which you can with which you can run because you know if you're thinking about hiring and employment contracts you're you're paying somebody for hours and you know entrepreneurship and even working in a startup is never a 9 to 5 job mm -hmm. you you never switch off even if you are on a holiday <laughs> i'm sorry to say that but your passion so let's say priya uh, you're a marketer you know if for the for whatever organization you're working right and likewise for whatever organization uh, sorry for whoever is working with with my team you never switch off my designer never stops thinking about design my marketer never stops thinking about marketing and and my 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 developers never stop thinking about you know uh, increasing the uh, improving the architecture increasing the performance uh, my devops guy is always thinking about better security all of that all of those things and and hence it is a team play that you want now how do we go about doing it i i think it purely depends on uh, what stage of the organization you are um, at the initial phases so for example if some of your listeners are thinking about starting um, uh, a startup uh, so 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 guys let me let me be very upfront here you cannot you cannot just hire team members no matter what money you're willing to throw at it does not matter uh, you what you will have to do is inspire people to be in your team to work with you to accept you as a leader to uh, to believe in your passion and to believe in your vision at the same time you need to understand are they aligned are their goals 
their individual aspirations how are they aligned how are you helping them achieve their goals and both of them need to coexist in a very symbiotic relationship together and and that has to be the mindset with that said from a mindset perspective you will only find initial team members from your current and existing networks hmm. you are not going to find uh, you know you can definitely bump into people and be friends and 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 you know find co-founders and early team members and and i think um, uh, you know luck be on your side um, but for that you'll have to do a few things number one you have to go out make friends be in those networking areas now you don't have to go out you know in a you know let's say a, a conference and and saying these are the top five guys and i have to go and meet them you know don't have to be um you're, you're not running a sales or a hiring process there okay they're not there yet you will have to let it you know happen naturally uh think of it as like you know falling in love you always fall in love you can't jump in it nobody can push you in it you have to fall in it and falling is something that you <laughs> that you can't force it will happen when it will happen so go in those networks just make yourself available there you'll find you'll connect with people you'll connect with like-minded people and i think that is how you're gonna you're gonna do that you can definitely uh, pick up the phone reach out to your ex-colleagues for example i am friends with from my schoolmates um uh and i'm uh uh from my schoolmates to my college mates to my uh you know my masters uh and my uh, mba class and after that all my organizations that i've worked with I'm friends with my mentors there. I'm friends with my colleagues. I'm friends with my juniors, and I think being friends just does not mean that you know sort of um, that I like them or they like me. I'm somehow able to maintain touch. And interestingly, you don't have to maintain touch with um, you know all of them or every day or every week. I think that happens more naturally. You know, even once a year touch point, I think is fantastic because you 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 build a very thick relationship with them. And when you reach out to them and say, hey, this is something that I'm doing. Do you have any recommendations or what do you think about this idea? You'll find that people who have worked with you 10 years ago, 15 years ago, still believe in you. They, they've sort of seen your journey. They've been in touch and they can extrapolate where you're going. That's most important. Right. And I think that is when they want to party. They want to be part of your journey and they, they, they want to be, you know, party to, to whatever you're building. So uh, I, I don't know if I give any give anybody any process here, but uh, that was the mindset with which I think I, I have always worked um and um so yeah that's how i'll that's how i'll put it i think you have answered it uh, beautifully uh tell us uh how did you fund your operations uh initially at least till the time uh you got your first customers or any external fundings awesome so let me let me give you a larger funding you know piece because many of your many of your I, I think all the entrepreneurs listening to this don't don't need to hear it from me they they probably already know it better than me but all the all the wannabe entrepreneurs um, all the aspirants here you know listening to your podcast uh, let me break some some dirty truth for you because i don't want to you know give something which is which is hard to accept any any sugar coating and try to make it easy for you um in my in my in my you know 15 20 years of corporate career i've worked with fantastically smart people amazingly smart people 10 times 100 times smarter than i am okay and uh, or i ever will be um but unfortunately all of them 
all of them want to be entrepreneurs when they aspire to be entrepreneurs of course they're great leaders they've, they've proven they've got skill set they've got they've got the knowledge they've got the uh, you know they've got the might they've got every damn thing one thing which is which is not been in favor of them is their financial situations mm. and and these are people you know living very comfortable life uh, middle class upper middle class lives you know been in the corporate world for uh, for for decades and and stuff and unfortunately they all we all not they all we all i was one of them and uh, um, who is who was party to you know buying a bigger car uh, taking a larger fatter home loan and uh, you know buying the next fancy gadget whether you need it or not you always want one and and living a fancy life of restaurants and all of that stuff so what that does is that sort of keeps tying you up in a in a larger cash flow uh, you know circle where you need more and more money to you know survive every uh, you're you're growing and uh demand of your own um uh lifestyle and that keeps increasing so no matter how much you earn that sort of keeps increasing so if you have to get out of this circle and i think there's a very good uh, classic book which is called the rich dad poor dad if many of you probably read it if you've not i you know that book's conceptually that book is never going to get old um so it's so it's not it, so you know forget about best sellers think about ever sellers uh, one of my mentors taught me this term um so think think about ever seller so this is an ever seller uh, so pick it up um, um good dad poor uh, rich dad poor uh, rich dad poor dad and what it will tell you is that how do you get out of this circle how do you get out of uh, this circle and and hence you have to put yourself in a position that you will be and can be financially in a spot where you can afford a current lifestyle for the good i will say 5 years okay but a bare minimum 2 to 3 years a bare minimum 2 to 3 years okay not 1 to 2 years 2 to 3 um uh, before you dive in so that basically means you need to get your financials in order and when i say you have to get so much financials your current expense today might be let's say equivalent to whatever you are making but the the only way you're going to get out of this is by increasing your pay size pay size reducing your expense investing the investing the balance and then working towards making a corpus large enough so that you can one day do uh you know jump into the entrepreneurship bucket and and hopefully along the way you're going to get a lot of financial support in the world that we live in today i think uh, venture capital is very easily available any one of you can can raise you know capital in in bangalore i'm not talking silicon valley or anything in bangalore um within 2 weeks if you've got what it takes within 2 weeks like no kidding i'm not talking Two weeks and one day. I'm talking two weeks strictly, uh, and um, uh, so so I think hopefully that will happen. But still, you need to be prepared to maintain a lifestyle and fund your organization for at least two to three years, um, even in a very bootstrap way, if that is what it takes. Because it, you know, there will be testing times. Nobody can avoid that. Um, then, uh, how do you get yourself here? Uh, see, in okay, let me let me give you another context to this financial thing. You. all of this is also uh, interesting when you look at your own life journey uh, there are two opportunities in life when you will be most comfortable running or or becoming an entrepreneur one is when you are yourself very recently out of college you are single you are not married that means you've got very less commitments your parents likely are still working and they're still probably giving you money i'm like some of you who are as shameless as me probably were still taking money uh for a few years from your parents so so that's good and uh, but your parents are financially independent and they are you know they they're happy to support you you are hopefully not the eldest or the only 
all the only you know member and all of that stuff if you are at that luxurious you know uh, position in life okay then i think that luxury will allow you to use that as a foundational stone and uh, start a startup yes it will be too early you probably don't have enough experience but just a couple of experience in a few good startups well designed experience with a great mindset will will give you enough experience and you should be able to dive in right then as early as you can the other opportunity will come after you're married you've probably had kids you've paid off your home loan so which usually happens about 10 15 years later in life which is where i came in right so i decided not to buy a bigger house not to buy uh, a bigger you know car or a fancier car and and essentially you know uh, uh, put uh, all my uh, all my investments for where my passion was and i think um, that is where that's the second opportunity so the second one is a lot more difficult to plan uh, because you'll have to plan for 15 years and um, the first one is a lot more you might be in your in that situation um and i think you can definitely definitely do it there are i'm not saying in between it's not possible you know it depends on uh, you know what your what your mindset uh, as a family as a you know what your um alignment with your partner is how you think as a family uh, and of course some of you might not even be dependent on your um, your salaries for for this if you're born in uh, born and raised in a in a business class um sort of a family then then there are enough means for you to dive in i think then there is no reason for you to not do this unless mm. unless you are working just to gain experience and that's totally fine yeah okay uh now uh, at least uh, till now you have made it sound like a cake work uh, i'm i'm sure it is not oh. <laughs> tell us tell us about the challenges that you have faced so far uh, during your entrepreneurial journey cool um so let me well it was definitely not a cake walk uh, i think the stories that we all get to tell make it sound like cake walk because we make them probably interesting or try to you know put it as if you just do this one thing and then you will get to success um, there is no single silver bullet so so let me let me tell you no many no matter what you plan how much you prepare for no matter how many eli podcasts you listen to nothing will prepare you for uh, you know for the uh, for the real world and your you know as it's as it's very well said and this is exactly what is going to happen your plan is only your battle plan is only going to last you know for for the first day of the battle and uh, when the real battle happens i think every day there is a new challenge uh, it's a it's a roller coaster ride you don't know what's going to hit you next day and when i say next day i literally mean next day um you know while while all of us want to you know control our destiny uh, which starts by let me plan let me plan this year let me plan this quarter let me plan this day and let me start planning hours on my calendar fantastic i'm a slave of my calendar and i you know make sure my calendar is not open if i don't accept something that i don't want to be party to i don't even let my emails rule me so if you send me an email or i'm sorry i didn't mean you if, if i get an email that doesn't mean i'm going to read it so i i treat my inbox as a google search i dive in and search for stuff in my inbox when i want to get to it i don't let my inbox get to me of course there are certain emails that you or from a certain people that you want to be staying on top it's your team it's your investors it's your it's your customers um and uh, and some other partners and some key initiatives but the rest of the emails will have to wait when i am ready for them so i uh, you know stage you're going to face a different challenge um 
the uh, the initial challenge of course is going to be you know building a team um, and building a team is basically polishing your own polishing your own pitch clearing your own like okay what do you want to do when you go um, let's say you you ping somebody who is working with you 10 years ago let's say he was a kickass developer and you and you reach out to him saying and this is what happened with my co-founders like he's not you know we were we were working uh, together at uh, at one of our previous organizations then he left to do another startup i continued working there then he was shutting down that startup and i was starting mine and that is when we bumped into each other uh, again but and i thought it's like sure you know you you want to start as a developer another startup i want to start a uh, startup as a as a you know coming from the business side of things and uh, let's let's join hands but you will find in your first conversation you will not even be prepared for that because remember i told you you are looking for team members who are well aligned this team member wants to be this co-founder wants to be completely in and he she is going to ask you questions that that probably you are aware of you never face them uh, to yourself and you but you will be facing them in front of this individual and say okay what happens you know why do we want to do this why can't they buy competitors uh, what happens if you know you run out of money what happens if i run out of money if happens if this happens if that happens if we don't get customers if we get customers if we get if customers are not paying us enough if i'm not able to develop the software if our software fails all sorts of scenarios and those many tough questions which will be put in front of you and and you on that day you'll think wow what great tough questions and and when you start running out of answers you'll think man this is not good he's asking me useless questions these are hypothetical questions you will start hating that individual for it okay but now let's get quickly move in a time travel from this um, you know few hours or maybe two hours of question answer back and forth to the real life all those questions will come true at some point in the next few years and you will be faced to make those you know uh, to make those decisions and at that point i think hopefully some of the earlier thinking some of the earlier arguments some of the earlier brainstorming that you've done with your team members your co-founders and your well-wishers will come in handy and you will sort of uh, you know you will have some value system intact to uh, to sort of guide you uh, through those tough tough questions um so i'm i'm not going to go very specific here you know i face this problem a or b or c uh, i think um, it does not matter there is no one single problem that i can tell you i think as and when so for example if facing a marketing problem then then i will suggest you know just like you just like you are taking inspiration from free, from elis and priya to to start an entrepreneurial journey i think at that point you want to look for people who have spoken extensively about marketing if you're facing a hiring problem or or um, you know team building problem hiring is not the right word um, then you then you look for you know those communities those podcasts those uh, uh, you know those mentors to help you out and i think that is the best way of tackling it um, so i'm just not trying to undermine i think the, the question priya i think it's more important to to understand how you deal with the problem because unless we are very deep into a subject we will not be able to do justice to any problem in in passe yeah absolutely uh i have many more questions left but uh, due to constraint of uh, time i'll i'll limit it to just one tell us uh, what are the different learnings that you have got as an entrepreneur which uh, we can take away from this session and apply it to our venture and uh, more more importantly uh, we shouldn't go through the same learning phase again because you have gone through it got it so i'll i'll, I'll try to then package this um, into um, 
into something you know that that I think every entrepreneur and again I'm sort of I'm assuming majority of your listeners are are you know aspiring aspiring entrepreneurs and yes. and and want to you know uh, want to start or just have just started and some of these questions are still in front of them. So um, some of the uh, there are lots of tough questions uh, I, I think um, that you will answer and and I, a I'm a long form guy so always listen to long part costs and i think the best is always read long books um you know trying to get knowledge for from two minute videos or or you know five minute read blogs is uh, is going to be helpful if you have read that author's book prior to prior to getting on their blog or you've sort of gone through you know some long form stuff from them that will give you a lot of context okay so uh, but uh, that was a side note you know if you are if you're getting more into uh, more into the journey and entrepreneurship, I think again has lots of great books which are available. So you should check those out. Um, I can probably leave uh, my my favorite books. Uh, uh, I'll mention to to Priya, uh, but one of them that comes to top of my mind is uh, a founder's dilemma. I think this is a lot about team building. This is a lot about uh, how do you split equity between your founder and yourself. When do you quit your job? Do you do it full time initially or part time? If one of you is full time, the other guy is part time. So it answers and addresses lots of those. I don't think it gives you an answer. It gives you a framework to think about it, and then you can sort of take calls there, and hopefully avoid some some mistakes. Um, you know, in 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 course and learn from from there. So check out that book. I think that will be very helpful. Uh, one of the one of the key things that that I don't think any book sort of addresses is uh, that you will constantly be be will be asked that hey do you want to do this bootstrap or do or do you want to raise capital now all of us you know will think oh if somebody is going to offer me a you know few million dollars i'll take it but while you are not able to take those million dollars you are thinking how do i keep a strong face so i'll say oh yeah, i'm fine i'm building it on my own i think we're growing right so while we we have external faces that we that we want to keep for for good reasons but from a thinking perspective here is what i'm going to tell you as a secret uh, which i which is what i have learned and again, I call it a secret because this is what I've learned and I treat me as a learning of one data point. Okay. So whether it applies to you or some other, someone else might have another learning. All of us are a beast of our own experiences. Um, another mentor of my mind taught me that. So, um, so coming back, um, the, the big question is, should you bootstrap or should you raise capital? First point, both of them are proven absolute realistic models to becoming a successful entrepreneur raising a large organization raising raising a large, a large company and even being a unicorn both of those i think are absolutely proven so you can't go wrong with either number one number two what is the difference between the two the difference between the two is in and i think you will also have to go with you know what sort of a personality you are so bootstrapped world and which with where are you in your life stage okay a bootstrapped world is going to usually take a lot longer to get success to you know to before you are successful it's going to take you more time mm. it's going to be a slower start but i think equally strong footing will be there while the start will be slower your footing is going to be very strong and i think you're going to take time as long as you you surround yourselves with with people who are constantly questioning you and you are you've got your eye on the goal and you're measuring your progress and you're not just not you know you're just not surviving or persisting uh that alone is not enough i think persistence is the most important thing in bootstrap world no no entrepreneur has 
can deny that. No successful entrepreneur can deny that. But uh, but I think measuring as you persist, measuring yourself is is also equally important. Then in the in the growth world, uh, sorry, in the in the uh, you know where you're taking capital investments from from venture capitalists um, is an equally interesting path. Now there. Um, it's a speed world. So you're basically spending money to get speed. So if you know exactly what you want to build, if you have people who are willing to work with you, but obviously will require money and power, if you know the market that you're building for, if you have the experience, if you have the market understanding, if you have the sales skills, if you, if you know what you are doing, more and more you know what you're doing, you need to fall towards, um, you know, VC, uh, led world, you are likely going to, you know, get more reward for, for the time and effort. If you know less and less, and you're still figuring things out, uh, I think you are, you should fall towards a bootstrap world. Again, this is a very broad framework. Um, there are like a million exceptions. I'm not even call them exceptions. There are enough people on, on both sides who have done it the other way around. Yeah. And even if you're choosing to build, build it bootstrap, let's say for the initial year or initial few years, that does not mean you will have to stay bootstrap forever. So you, the day you say, I think I know enough and I am now ready to step on the gas pedal. If somebody gives me a few million dollars and, and if I can raise a few million dollars, then I can extrapolate my growth. Then I think absolutely you should be able to do that. And uh, it is okay to, you know, patiently wait for the right opportunity. You know, uh, you, you have, if you are a, if you're a cricketer, um, you know, facing the right bats, if, you know, uh, taking your batting and you have to hit something big, it's okay to show some, show some patience for the right ball, for the, for the right uh, baller even, or even for the right over. Uh, and I think very, very equally, it is, it is okay to, you know, sort of know what your strengths and weaknesses are and then wait for the right moment. Um, and that's completely, completely fine. I think, for example, given the scenario that we're living in today, I think COVID has has taught lots of lots of skills of survival. I think one of the skills of survival is that a lot of um, a lot of businesses are possibly falling. So a lot of businesses have gone, you know, tailwinds like ourselves. Um, we sort of with the digital adoption, you know, we we uh, the situation, uh, the pandemic actually favored the digital adoption of customer success box, and because it favored digital adoption, it favored uh, customer success box journey as well and growth as well. But a lot of others are also, you know, for example, if you are, let's say if you are an HR tech or, you know, now that's again picking up and has already picked up, but in 2020, everybody decided to just go in hibernation. You know, okay, how do you, how do you, how do you hibernate the COVID part and then come out still alive and breathing and successful when there is enough meat available to, you know, enough business available to sort of start growing again. And I think um, uh, those are some of the skill sets. Um, that I think I probably could have shared, but yeah, there you go. Okay, thanks, uh, Puneet, for coming here and uh, sharing the beautiful lessons uh, that uh, you have learned and other things I thoroughly enjoyed uh, listening to you. Uh, I would say my best wishes for customer success box. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see it uh, to grow to a unicorn and a decacorn and uh, even more. Uh, thanks for your time, Puneet. Uh, you have a good day. Thank you, Priya. Awesome. Uh, thanks for having me. Pleasure was all mine. Cheers.